listen here a little bit, just give people a lesson a little bit. So let's, let me ask you this one. What did Jonah's family say when he first met him after his time in the whale or in the fish? Mm. Smells kind of fishy to me. Mm, yeah. <laughs> hey, Jake, the microphone's about me taking over your, your, your job. I just want to let you know, right? Remember last time, what did God say when he provided the food for the Israelites? Oh, man. Uh. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. I'll stop putting boobs. Okay. We're continuing on. Uh, uh, actually, we've been working on and working through this idea of the kingdom and talking about the kingdom of God and what that means. And we've talked uh, quite extensively over the last few weeks about this and uh, what the kingdom is. The kingdom is not just in heaven. It's not a place that we can go to and get to heaven and, and then we're going to experience the kingdom of God. No, Jesus came here to die so that the kingdom could be here with us today. And so, as we talk about this, we need to understand that the kingdom is here, that Jesus taught and spoke to his disciples and walked with his disciples about having the kingdom here with us in this place. And so, as we looked at this last week, we started to look at the Sermon on the Mount, and we spoke about uh, the Beatitudes and what we're all about. And the Beatitudes are this amazing set of things that Jesus, just one-line sentences that Jesus said. And he said these things in a radical way. This was a radical thinking for these uh, Jewish people that were listening to Jesus and hearing what Jesus had to say. But we're going to continue on today with some more of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was calling his disciples and us to follow him in these ways. When he spoke this sermon, this was the very first sermon that he gave to his people. This was a way of him uh, kind of launching his ministry, if you will, launching his preaching into the people and teaching them. It was meant to be for the disciples, and it was a specific teaching given to the disciples. But as normally happened in Jesus' time as he began to speak and he began to share and he began to do these things, people gathered to hear and to hear more about what was going on and how and what he was saying about these things. The list of things was not a list of laws or some unattainable list of things to do to serve our need of Jesus. See, oftentimes we think about this uh, the Sermon on the Mount as not only the Beatitudes, but also the things that Jesus later says, as somehow some people think that this is Jesus' way of saying, listen, you can't survive without me. Is that true? That's where you all say amen. All right, there we go. I just want to make sure you're, you're tracking with me here and that you're still awake, right? So we say amen to that. Yes, these are, we do need Jesus. We need him in everything and part of our life and, and everything that we do and say. We need him to be part of it. But this list was not some unattainable things. Jesus never preached a message to the people that said, this is something that you cannot attain, and so therefore I'm just going to tell you to do it. And so as we go through this list, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, and we talk about these things, when Jesus says to turn the other cheek, he truly means to turn the other cheek. When Jesus says not to lie, he truly means not to lie. When Jesus says not to divorce, he truly means not to divorce. These are things in Scripture that he is teaching. These are things that he is teaching us to follow him. Does that mean that we're always going to be perfect and we're always going to abide by everything? No. That's why we have the grace of Jesus Christ. But it isn't an exhaustive list that we can just throw out and say we'll never obtain these things. 
No, it was Jesus' way of teaching us to be more like him and the radical change that he was bringing to this earth. Not by force, not by army, but instead by the love that he was sharing with us and how to live in a different way. It is completely true that Jesus will forgive you and that his grace is there for us as we need it. The issue with this is that we never can all get heads to grow and become better servants. Jesus' challenge to all of us in this room was to be a better servant of his. To work harder to do these things. So when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, when we look at the Beatitudes, all of this was to challenge you and I to be better. To challenge the disciples to be better. To do better. To do more. To not just sit around and watch Jesus do all the work, but for us to partake in his kingdom. It's how to work inside the kingdom of God. Jesus' last teaching was not about this. Do you understand the very last thing that Jesus said to us before he left this earth was for us to do what? Go and make disciples of all men and all women and all peoples. To teach them, to obey, to, to, to do all of those things. The first teaching was Jesus teaching his disciples and teaching us how to do those things. And then the last teaching that he does before he ascends into uh, the cloud was for us to go and do exactly what he taught us to do. The Sermon on the Mount is an amazing sermon. There's so many things in this sermon that we could talk about. We're going to do the first two today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 13. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out under out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pause there and pray, and then we'll continue on. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you have spoken to us in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, we ask you that you help us to just grasp the hold of the truths that are inside this amazing sermon that you gave. Help us to learn how you want us to be the salt of the earth, the light of the earth, Father. Help us to know how to follow you and the laws that you are saying to us in this place. Lord, help us to be the servants that you called us to be today. Lord, I pray that uh, you would just guide us and direct us, that you would remove any hindrances. Holy Spirit, come and help us not to be focused on anything other than what we can hear from you and what you would be teaching us through these verses. Guide us and direct us. Help us to do your will. Father, I pray that these words would not be my own words that I'm speaking today, but they would truly be the words that you have given to us so that we can learn from you and follow you in all things. We glorify you, we honor you, and we praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus was very clear in this. You are the salt of the earth. Now some people think when you say that we are the salt of the earth, it's an amazing thing, right? It's often that phrase is often used for just average folk, right? The average person who's just the salt of the earth. 
But if you've ever been to, uh, you know, the last year I was able to visit our son. My, our, our son lives in Salt Lake City, Utah, and we were able to visit the Great Salt Lake. Now, as of last year, they were in a great uh, drought, and so literally there is hundreds and hundreds of feet of shoreline that has never been seen before in the Great Salt Lake because they were so low, uh, the water level was so low. But when we were there, there was a uh, literally a storm coming in, and so the, the wind was blowing. It was about 50 to 60 miles per hour, and it's blowing across us. And I, uh, the very first time we stepped out of the car, you could taste the salt as the wind blew across, and it got in your eyes or burned your eyes. It was amazing. But this flavor of salt was there. And, uh, I just remember we spent probably uh, four or five hours hiking around the Salt Lake and seeing this beautiful buffalo and, and animals and all kinds of stuff. It was amazing. And as we left there, we decided to stop by lunch, and we stopped by this little cafe, and as we walked into this cafe, they serve us this dinner, and the lady, uh, the waitress comes by, and she says, you're going to need, uh, she goes, this, this uh, we ordered this, uh, it was a chicken place, it was really good, but she's like, would you like salt? And the three of us just looked at her and said, no! <laughs> she's like... Is everything okay? <laughs> we're like, sure, it's, it's fine. We've just been to the Great Salt Lake, and it was so windy that I can taste salt. I don't need any salt on my food because I'm going to be tasting it for the next three years of my life. It's amazing. But there is something that salt does, right? Salt preserves. Today, many, uh, not today, but not too many people today actually use salt to preserve things. But back in the days, they used to take meat and they would pack it in complete in salt. And that would be the way that they would preserve their meat, if you will, for years. Uh, kind of gross, but that is the way they would do it. Uh, if you've ever seen, uh, and I'm a, I kind of like watching cooking shows on YouTube and those types of things, but there was one particular one where this guy took butter and salt and he packed a steak and he left it out and he left it for like, uh, I think it was three or four months. And when he took it out, the steak looked disgusting. But he said it tasted perfect. Now, uh, this is one time I'm glad I was not there to taste it, right? I'm okay with that. I'll take your word for it. But it does, it preserves, it helps things. But what happens when salt loses its taste? What good is it? You know, we use salt on the roads. I was laughing as we were coming here today. My wife was driving, and we come underneath the bridge over there on Prospect Street, and we come underneath that bridge, and it looked like there was about five tons of salt on the road there. Someone should go out there and have a shovel, and they would be able to salt their driveways for many years to come with the amount of salt that was there. But we use salt for many different things. But Jesus, and so Jesus knew this. It's different today because, again, we don't use salt to preserve and those types of things. But Jesus knew about this. And so he's saying to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. What are you supposed to be as the salt of the earth? You're supposed to flavor things. That means we as Christians should bring the spice to the party, right? Uh, oh, wait, did I say that? Yeah. Right? Um, okay, I won't ever do that again, I promise. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, is that we are, we are to flavor the world, if you will. Think about this for a moment. Do you need salt? No, you do not. <laughs> in some foods you do, right? If I have to eat broccoli, sorry, Leah, I know she loves broccoli, but if I have to eat broccoli, there better be a little bit of salt in that broccoli because I'm not eating it without it, right? 
But there's so many things that we, we you don't actually technically need salt for anything. You can eat food without it. But what does it do? It enhances the flavor. It makes things taste so much better. Man, a good steak. I, here I am. I, I, I should not be talking about food because I'm going to be checking out this sermon already, right? But just think about the added flavor that comes by doing that. It's amazing. So Jesus just uses this example because you and I are called to be the same way. We are called to be useful. We're called to enhance things. We're called to enhance the world, enhance the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying about salt is for you and I to enhance the kingdom and what he has brought. See, Jesus has brought the kingdom down to this place, and now he is calling for you and I to enhance it. Not distract it, not belittle it, not pull away from it, but to enhance and build the kingdom of God. We are to enhance and flavor the kingdom of God. But the question is, if we're not, then Jesus is very clear what happens. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be trampled under anybody's feet. And so I want to be good for something. I want to be good to flavor things. Jesus goes on, he says, You are the light of the world. A city on on a hill cannot be hidden. Again, a story, a wonderful story. You know, when I, um, a few years ago when our kids were small, we went to uh, Everbenda Pudden Bay uh, up in Sandusky area, and there's a Marblehead lighthouse. Beautiful lighthouse, by the way. And uh, I don't even know if it still works. I don't know if it still lights up. I didn't know any of that stuff until that night when we were there. We, we decided to drive by at night, and sure enough, they had lit up this lighthouse. But you could see it for miles. As we were driving away, we could see this lighthouse for miles and miles and miles. It was amazing. This is what Jesus calls you and I to be. We are called to be a light on the wor- a light of the world, a city set on the hill. It cannot be hidden. We are called to we are called to be those people. But then he goes on and says, "Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole entire house." Jesus is calling you and I to give this process, if you will, to let our light shine. If I was a Sunday school teacher, I would be uh, singing uh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? Jesus is being very clear about this, and uh, he's telling us that we should let our light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is calling us to let our light shine, to let this come out. See, the kingdom of God is all about whether we can be and do and be this salt that flavors and the light that is useful. Do you understand that salt and light to themselves are completely useless? Light does not enliven someone else. Right? If there's no one else but light in the room, is there need for another light? No, there is not. Salt in itself does not cause salt to be saltier. Salt in itself cannot do anything other. It's not useful to itself. It's useful for others. Jesus created us to be the salt and the light of the earth so that we can be useful for others, to bring others into the kingdom of God. That is our job. That is what he's saying to us. He is saying to you and I, sorry, 
He's saying to you and I that we need to follow Him to be useful to others. I sometimes read scripture and just smile and Jesus in his first message right here is a smackdown with the Beatitudes, right? Be meek. Be humble. Look at all these things that he says in the Beatitudes. And then right after the Beatitudes he goes, Oh, but then let, let your light shine among others. Be the salt of the earth. Go out and do these things that you're supposed to do. Be nice. What Jesus is calling us to do is he's calling us to go and make a difference in this world. Jesus is telling us that we can go out and we can be the light on the hill. We can be the salt of the earth. We can be all of those things if we just allow ourselves to let God work through our lives and to affect the people around us. The question that we have to ask is whose light or whose life are we lighting up, if you will, by the light that we have inside of us? Whose life are we flavoring to be better because we are the salt of the earth? Whose life are we enhancing because of God in our life? Do we find ourselves just slowly pulling away and not affecting and not talking to others and not sharing our faith with others? Do we find ourselves being so concerned with our own duties and our own inside and all of these things that we need to do that we forget that there's a world outside of our family and outside of us that we need to enhance and to share our faith with? Or are we giving to others? Are we sharing? Are we enhancing their lives? Are we telling them that there is a God who loves them? people who claim to be followers of Christ, but yet their lives look nothing like Jesus. And therefore, instead of attracting others to him, we often repel them. Instead of being salt, too often we become hot sauce. Now, I know some of you like hot sauce, and that's okay, right? Let me be very clear about something for a moment. When you follow Jesus, there's going to be a portion of you that's going to repel other people. If you're following Jesus right, you're going to cause conviction in other people's life. If you're following Jesus appropriately, your standard of life and the way that you live your life is going to rub other people wrong, and that's okay. That's certainly okay. There's nothing wrong with that. We should. Our lives should be different from the world outside of us. We shouldn't look like the world. We should look like Christ. And when you look like Christ, you're not going to look like the world. And so the people that want you to look like the world, when you look like Christ, are going to get mad at you. And are going to begin to say things to you. And are going to begin to persecute you and do those things. That's why Jesus says, Blessed are those who persecute you for my name's sake. The kingdom of God is yours, is what Jesus says. And so, what Jesus is telling us is that, yes, we may repel, but at the same time, we are called to enhance. Jesus was amazing at this, and I'm, I, 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 this has been my lifelong journey of learning from Jesus, as I am just amazed at story after story that Jesus interacts with these people, and he tells them some really bad things, and he smacks them in their face. But yet, at some, for some reason, somewhere they turn around and they just fall in love with Jesus. He can say the worst thing, like, you're, well, he wouldn't, maybe this is because he doesn't say it the way we say it, but uh, he would look at the lady at the well, 
she'd been sleeping with a lot of men. You don't have a husband. Yet she turns around, she runs to the city, and she says, I just met the man who said everything, told me about my life. Yeah, he just told you that you were uh, loose with your morals and that you were doing things that you shouldn't do. Yet now I'm... It's amazing. Over and over and over again, Jesus' interactions with people were telling the truth, but yet enhancing their life. They walked away from that interaction with Jesus in such an amazing view of their life. That, my friends, is salt. That, my friends, is enhancing the situation. We have to learn instead of being angry, we have to learn instead of being repelling to instead enhance their lives with something that they need, and that's Jesus Christ. Salt is only good if it has something to preserve or flavor. Light is only good if it brings light and vision to someone or something. Salt and light are not useful to themselves. They are made to create and enhance the lives of those around us. It is our job to make the kingdom of God look attractive to those who are not in Christ. It starts with us living our lives the way he intends for us to live it. The hardest discussion that we have to have with ourselves is, am I living in the kingdom of God the way that Jesus has called me to live? That's why the Beatitudes are so important. Going back, am I meek? Am I humble? Do I mourn over my sin? Do I do all of those things? All of those things that we talked about last week and in previous sermons about the Beatitudes are very, very important. But we have to ask ourselves, if we're not living out those things, if we're not living out the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, then what good are we? Are we really enhancing the lives of those around us or are we detracting from their lives? Jesus calls us to be those things, to be those that enhance life. He goes on in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. There's a fruit fly flying around me, and it does not shoe fly, but I don't know how good that was. No, that was on the cruise that you guys are on, okay? So, uh, Matthew 5, verse 17 through 20 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless you are righteous, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Some big words there for a moment. Let's pause and just let let's reflect what Jesus is saying, and then I'm going to explain why I think Jesus talks about the law immediately after talking about the light and the salt. The law is important to understand, too. Before Jesus came to this earth, the way that you were forgiven of your sins is that you followed the law. You had a whole, you had the Ten Commandments. There's many different types of laws, by the way. There's the Ten Commandments. That was the Moses, the Mosaic law, if you will. That's what most people followed. You know, uh, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not obey your, or, wait a minute. Obey your father and mother. Separate those two. I gotta separate that section just for those young ones that are still in here listening. You are to obey your father and mother. 
we could go through all of the Ten Commandments if we wanted to, but those are the Mosaic Law that most people follow. And then on top of that, we also have the Levitical Law. The Levitical Law was 600 additional, 600 some, 600 and some additional laws that were added to this. Some of them included, do not eat shellfish. I'm okay with that. I don't like seafood. I'm good with that. Other people, not so much, right? If you like shrimp, that's a shellfish, by the way. If you like lobster, that's considered a shellfish as well. But there's also many other laws in the Levitical law that we talk about. Now, this is a really deep and, and honest, I don't know if I have enough time to talk about all of these things, but I just want to say, listen, Jesus comes and he says to his disciples, do not think that I've come to abolish the law. Now wait, today many people say, oh, we live, in the, we live in the age of grace of Jesus Christ. That means if I sin, Jesus forgives me of my sin. That is true. That is theologically true. If you sin, Jesus, and you ask for forgiveness, Jesus will forgive you. But Jesus, is in, in his own words, says, I have come, I don't think, do not think, that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Jesus didn't come to say the law is no good. He came to live out the law here on this land. And so that leaves us wondering, and it should leave you wondering, which laws do I have to live by? Right? Do I live by the Mosaic law? Do I live by the... Levitical law, do I live by it? And by the way, the Levitical law is a little messed up once you start getting into it. If you read into the if you read the book of Leviticus, easy for me to say, there's some really interesting laws there. But Jesus is saying that I haven't come to abolish them, I've come to fulfill them. Jesus has come to fulfill all of the laws. He means he is coming to live the way that we should have lived if we could have. But we didn't. People have not lived in that way. He goes on to say, For truly I say, I say to you, not until heaven, or until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Now, you have to understand something. Jesus is spending this amount of time with the people because there was a huge argument going on. The Pharisees and the Sadducees laid it over the people and said, this is what you have to do. And if you're not following the law, you can do this. But what has happened is that they have also used the law for their own benefits. If you watch, uh, I don't know how many of you guys have watched the Chosen uh, series. Anyone watch the Chosen series? A few people in here? Uh, some of it? Yeah, you should really watch it. It's great. I'm, uh, I'm about six or seven episodes into the first season, so I'm not into the second or third season yet. But it's accurate when they talk about the when they talk about the priests and how the priest comes, the priests are using the law for their benefit. This is what was going on at that time. They were using the law. They they knew how to configure the law. It's just much like what we have today. Like, when you pass a law, it's not just, hey, you shouldn't spit on the street. No, all behind it, there's a whole bunch of addendums to that law, and there's 50 to 100 to 1,000 other things that are being passed at the same time with one simple law that should have been so simple, that should have been it. Our government uses the law to make themselves benefits. 
This was something that uh, the priests were using their axe to gain uh, an, uh, an advantage, if you will, of the people. And so Jesus is, but Jesus is very clearly saying to them, I have not come to abolish the law. I have come to live out the law, to do all that it says. And he says, therefore, whoever relaxes one, and this is specifically talking about people who are teaching about the law. He says, if you relax one of the laws... The least in the kingdom it will be. So how can I, as a pastor, I, by the way, I'm not going to stand up here and say, don't follow the law. First of all, that would be dumb, right? Second of all, I just read this verse. I'm a smart, I'm, I'm not a smart man, Jenny, but I'm smart enough to read this scripture and know that I should not stand up here and say, choose the law you want to follow and then just go have fun and the grace of Jesus Christ will cover you. How fun with that. That's not what Jesus said. I, 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 again, I'm reading this saying, as your pastor, I have to be very careful to say, we are called to follow the law, but it's the grace of Jesus Christ that covers us when we mess up. You can't ask, what law? Right? We should ask, do we follow the Levitical law? Do we follow the Mosaic law? Do we follow those things? The law that I follow is the law of Jesus Christ. See, what Jesus says, and this is, Romans does a fantastic job. The first 11 chapters of Romans is all about, and again, maybe someday we'll get into this and have a sermon series on this, but for the 11 chapters, Paul is talking about abolishing the law and living not under the law, but living under Jesus Christ. And that the law, but he also doesn't say just abolish the law, he says the law makes it known that we need something. See, by living in the law, you know that you cannot achieve the, the, the um, excuse me, the position that Jesus wants us to, to achieve. We're going to fall short. Living by the law shows you that you're a sinner and you need Jesus Christ. And so if you abolish the law and you follow and you don't follow what it has to say, then you and I are in trouble. See, the law tells us that we need Jesus. The law is constricting, but the kingdom is about him. See, we have to understand that too often that we get caught up in this issue and we think that we have to either follow the law or we have the grace of Jesus Christ. No, you can have both. And Jesus is making it very clear that you don't have to just follow the law, but you have Jesus Christ. The law will show you that you're in need of Jesus and why you need Jesus because you can never attain fully to the law. It is very much like today. If you go down, I've done this a few times. I've gone down Route 5 before, you know. Um... I live out by West Branch, and so as I'm driving down Route 5, I get out there, and the speed limit is 55 miles per hour, right? So by law, I should be following at 55 miles per hour. That seems really slow. When I go 55 down Route 5, people are going right past me, right? It's crazy. Now, maybe they're going too fast. That's true. But what do I generally do? I generally bump up my speedometer to about 58 or 59 miles per hour. Am I technically breaking the law? Yes, I am. So therefore, I need the grace of Jesus Christ to cover me because I just sped down Route 5. But what does the law of the United States, what does the uh, state highway patrolman who passes me almost every day when I'm driving on that road, he doesn't pull me over because I'm going 58 in a 55. There's some type of limit. If, if Jim was here, I'd ask Jim what the limit was, Christy, but he's not here, right? And so there is some limit, 5 miles per hour, 10 miles per hour, over. What is that limit? Well, I know it's not 7. <laughs> There's a story there, but we'll leave that one go. There you go. <laughs> 
the fear that is set is setting the need for us to have Jesus by having the law. By following the law and serving and following the law, it shows that we need the grace of Jesus Christ. And so you and I have to understand that and we have to live by that. The truth is, is living in the kingdom has nothing to do with the law and what I can't or can do. It's about living at Christ with the Holy, with the Holy Spirit. See, when I realize it's not about just the law, it's about the relationship we have with Jesus. I won't be confined by the law. I won't be confined by what it says. Instead, it's my life in Jesus that matters. See, we often look at fences and guardrails as bad things. But when I'm going around a curve and there's a big drop-off and I see that guardrail there, I'm thankful for that. Because I know that if I went out spinning out of control for some reason, I hit that guardrail, guess what would happen? I'd bounce back into the middle of the road instead of going down off the side of that cliff. Guess what the law is? The law is meant to be the guardrails that keep us on the path to Jesus Christ. Because we know that when we're spinning out of control, if that law was not there to tell us that we were doing something wrong, then we would keep going off the side of that cliff and find ourselves in much trouble. But instead, the law is set up so that it controls and constricts us from keeping us to do those things. Do we live by that? Yes, we live by the help that that brings. But it's the grace of Jesus Christ that matters most. Most. See, too often, instead of living for Jesus Christ, I want to be very careful how I explain this. Too often what happens is that we live for Jesus Christ based upon the law. I have to read my Bible. And we go home and we sit down to go to bed and I have to read Scripture and I have to read my Bible and I have to do these things and I have to do all of these things because you know what I'm checking off some scriptural checklist right of these are the things that Jesus tells me I should do so I'm going to check all of these lists off and this is what I'm going to do this is what I'm going to say instead of living like a relationship that Jesus Christ wants us to have Jesus wants us to have this relationship with him he wants us to have this relationship where we want to do these things and the law is made for us to be constricted in where and keeping us on the path to Him. I'm tired of living a life where I feel like I have to be or have to do this or that. I don't have to do anything for Jesus Christ and neither do any of you in this room. None of you have to follow Him. None of you have to read your Bibles. None of you have to be obedient in your giving. None of you have to be obedient in the time that you give to Him. None of you have to do anything for Him. When we're truthful with ourselves and we look at it, the kingdom is about wanting to be with Him. The kingdom is about wanting Him in your life. The kingdom is about wanting to open up Scripture and read it. The kingdom is about wanting to worship. The kingdom is about wanting to do all these things. I, When I go to Chick-fil-A, guess what? I want salt on those waffle fries because it's so much better. Right? I want Jesus in my life because it's so much better. What he brings to my life is way more than whatever I could get from any law or any constricting things that the world would tell me. And so I am calling you today not to live your life with Christ and say, man, I have to go home. I want to set you free for a moment. This is what I'm really trying to do. In reality, what I'm trying to do is saying, listen, stop berating yourself by telling you that you have to read Scripture. Stop berating yourself and telling you that you have to pray. 
Should you pray? Absolutely. Should you read scripture? Absolutely you should. But do you have to be under that? No, it should be a choice that you want to make. A choice to follow Jesus Christ. To have a relationship with him. Jesus came to fulfill the law so that we don't have to follow the law and instead we can live a life of grace and relationship with him. It's all about the relationship that he wants us to have. He wants to enhance our life so that we can go out and enhance others in the same way. We need to stop looking at our Christian walk as things that we have to do because of the law or we have to do because it's the right thing to do. God isn't after how many laws you can abide by. He's after your heart. The question is, are you after that checklist or are you after his heart? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Are we after his heart or are we after something else? So you have a choice today, like any of us. You have a choice to constrict yourself and say, you know, one of the greatest things, uh, um, I'm going to pause here just for a moment. One of the greatest things, last year, my wife and I went through a Bible app, and uh, we decided to read the Bible together. And uh, we read the whole entire New Testament and the Old Testament, and then uh, we reread Psalms and Proverbs last year. And uh, it was so funny because there was a few times in the beginning of the part of the year that I forgot to read. I was reading other. Let me let me let me let me say this just so I'm not constricted by you guys' law on me, right? I read the Bible. I just didn't read the scripture that was on my plan that I read. Okay, on my phone. And so I found myself about three or four days behind what I was supposed to be in my reading plan with my wife. And I started to condemn myself. Like, how can you be a pastor and you're three or four days behind on your reading plan? And I started to think about these things. And then I'm like, so I, I, one day I was sitting down and I began to read my reading plan. And as I sat down, I thought, wait, you know what? I'm going to. Did I read scripture yesterday? Oh, I did. That's right. Because this happened in my life and I needed to look up the scripture. And then I remembered the day before that when I didn't read my Bible plan. Then I read scripture because someone asked me a question about it and I had to pull out scripture and I read it. And I began to understand that the condemnation that I was putting on myself was really unjustified because I was reading scripture. I just wasn't reading the plan that I had. Plans are good. Now don't, don't get me wrong. Plans are great. It helps us keep on track and to get through something. Those are fantastic. But let's set ourselves free from that for a moment. Let's not be constricted by reading what we have to read and say, I want to read this because I want to read it. I want to grow in Him. I want to have a relationship with Him. I want Him to be so alive inside my heart. See, I don't want people to think, honestly, this as a pastor, this might be a weird thing, but I don't want you to feel like you have to come to church. I don't. I don't want anyone here that's coming here by law. I want people here because they want to be here. They want to participate. They want to be with the other people that are sitting in the pews on either side of you. They want to be part of something bigger than what they may have. They want to experience Jesus with their friends and, and experience and relate with him. Is it important for you to come to church? Absolutely. Would I say that it's the most important thing that you we could do? Yes, I would. But would I ever tell you that you have to come? 
No, because I don't want you to feel abiding by some law. I want you to come here because you want to come and meet Jesus and you want to be with family and be with others that are in the room. Set yourself free from that condemnation. Set yourself free from that law. And instead of living by the law, live. Jesus fulfilled the law. Do you understand that? We don't have to fulfill all the laws because he did. Should we live by the law? Yes, they should be the guardrails that keep us in line. But do we have to fulfill every single one of them? No, because Jesus' grace is on our life. And his grace is bigger than anything else. It's time for us to let go of the burden of having to follow Jesus and instead take up the mantle and relationship of living with Jesus in a love relationship that he wants to have with you and I. Will you stand with me with the worship team come?